Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Kellen, what are your biggest pet peeves? Ooh, I'm sure I've got plenty of them. You know, one that comes to mind, and it's probably because there are certain family members who do this in my extended family, is when people have to take like a normal moment and set it up so it looks more perfect than it is to take a picture so they can post it on social media. And maybe it's because I hardly use social media and something about not being genuine bothers me. But in those situations, it just drives me nuts. That is a very specific pet peeve. I like that. What about you? I was just going to say something generic, like like I hate people who drive slow in the left lane or people who don't use their blinkers. I mean, those are specific items. They are, but, but everyone has those pet peeves. But how many people would list when their sibling tries to set up a normal moment for a very special social media picture or something? Do you ever say anything to them, to your family members when they do that? Sometimes I kind of passively, aggressively tease them. How does that work out? Passive aggressiveness. Just as good as passive aggressiveness always does. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, uh, the reason I ask, the, the topic of today's episode is focusing on communication. This is sort of a soft follow-up to a previous conversation that we've had around how to speak to others about collapse. And while what we're going to talk about today will apply when trying to have difficult conversations with people about collapse, maybe people who don't understand it. It also applies to nearly every aspect of life and the communication that we have with other people. I've heard it said time and time again that communication and the ability to build relationships are some of the most important preparations that one can have 
going into collapse. A lot of people focus on the gear or they focus on really oddly specific skills and, and things like that. And while those are important, the fact of the matter is we are all going to have to rely on each other so much. And the people who can learn to communicate with each other, to build trust and to rely on each other are the ones that are most likely to find success in the hard times ahead. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. In normal life right now, day to day, there are lots of opportunities for important conversations and oftentimes difficult conversations. But you can imagine just how difficult some of the conversations would be as collapse plays out further. And so much of what this podcast is about is trying to build awareness and bring these subtopics within the overarching topic of collapse to the surface and help people understand the problems that are going on. But as more and more people become a part of what you could call the collapse community, they come in with all different backgrounds and opinions. And I think you see it even in the collapse subreddit where there is a lot of bickering and arguing. And I think there's an opportunity to turn those into more productive conversations for the people that are at least willing. Yeah. You know, when you think about all the problems that the world faces, and then you look at the way that discussions are held around those problems, they are typically extremely petty. You know, when you look at the way politicians interact with each other, especially in the US right now, it's it's a circus. And it's so frustrating to see who, who these people are supposed to be representing us have childlike name-calling arguments when they should be having these extremely important you know, life-changing conversations. But you can also just look at most interactions, especially online. Any comment section of any article or any YouTube video or whatever it is, is just full of terrible communication. And all of that only serves to sort of exacerbate the problems that we're seeing. And you just mentioned that it's something that we see within the Collapse subreddit as well. It's normal. It's a normal part of life to be surrounded by people who have differing opinions, who have differing values, who make different choices that, you know, that we don't agree with necessarily. But if there's going to be any success to be had, whether it's on a large scale, whether it's on a much smaller scale in local communities or even within families, there has to be a sense of collaboration and of appropriate communication or it'll all fall apart. Yeah, when it comes to the present and the future in relation to collapse, communication has got to be one of the most important skills any of us can develop. So with that in mind, Corey and I want to introduce some things that we have found to be very insightful. A lot of this comes from a book and a framework called Crucial Conversations. It's a really popular book. It's been used for a number of years now, mostly in business settings. And frankly, like other business books and self-help books, there's a lot of fluff in it and there's some things in it that are kind of corny. So if you haven't already and you decide to go read the book, you might roll your eyes several times while reading it. But one of the reasons that it has gained popularity is because it introduces some tools that are very helpful. I've used them and honestly, it's helped me at work. It's helped me with my family. It's helped me in a number of situations when I've had to have a crucial conversation. And so it seems like it's really important to bring that up within this context of collapse. Yeah, we've talked about this before in the podcast about how Kellen is my boss at work, and he has forced me to read this book, being one of his employees. And I agree with what Kellen said. There is a lot of great information there, 
I think it is a good framework and it just helps to think about some of these things as you're going into having a crucial conversation with people. And like you mentioned, it works whether you're speaking with someone at work, whether you're speaking with a family member, whether you're talking about collapse or to your neighbor whose dog is pooping on your lawn or whatever it is. So we're going to kind of skip over, obviously, any of the fluff and things like that and just talk about sort of the meat of what the book is about. Yeah, that's great. And I want to start with how the book defines a crucial conversation. It says a crucial conversation is a discussion between two or more people in which, and then it lists a few criteria. Number one, stakes run high. Number two, opinions vary. And number three, emotions run strong. And when it comes to stakes running high, I mean, we're talking about the future of humanity. Seems pretty high stakes to me. Yeah. Yeah. The collapse of industrialized society, but even in the smaller conversations we might find ourselves having, stakes can run very high, especially as we get further into a collapse. For example, if food is scarce and you're trying to collaborate in a small group to figure out how to solve that problem, stakes are very high. And we could list all sorts of different examples, but the point is that I think that criteria gets a check mark in many cases when it comes to collapse. And even in a more immediate sense, you've just referenced something that may happen far down the road during a famine or supply chain breakdown. But even, you know, the conversation that you have with your uncle at the Thanksgiving table about climate change, where he's going off on some rant about how it's some liberal farce, you know, whatever, or whether it's with your mom or dad who are interested in this collapse stuff that you talk about, but have some concerns like talking to someone about collapse is also high stakes. You're potentially altering that person's thought processes and actions in the future. Just as a quick example, I just found out today my mom has started listening to the podcast. She is 15 episodes through. Hi, mom. You know, I didn't know if she or anyone else from my family would listen to this, and I don't expect them to fully necessarily agree with everything that we're talking about, but she was expressing to me how it has changed her thought process. It's made her think about some of the actions that she's taking and should she do this or should she do that? This is a very high stakes conversation to have. Yeah, well said. So the second one was opinions vary. And I think this is a really important one to take a moment on because there are so many different opinions, even within this kind of subculture of people who believe collapse is going to be a reality, even from experts. Like when we talked to John Michael Greer, we brought up a question about climate change and he kind of disregarded it. Like he didn't seem too worried about it. When we talked with Joseph Tainter, we asked him what was his biggest concern for the future. And for him, it was climate change. And so these are kind of leading experts in the realm of collapse. And yet they probably have a number of things that they disagree on. And then there are just all sorts of sort of subcultural disagreements, right? Just specifically talking about the subreddit, which look, we talk about the subreddit a lot. And I want to make a quick point that that's not the only place that people are talking about collapse. It's where I found it. So, so we talk about it a lot, but there's always conversations around, you know, veganism versus meat eaters and antinatalists and the whole dumb conversation about is it overpopulation or is it overconsumption? And the differing in opinions is always there. As Kellen stated at the beginning of this conversation, when a community grows to a certain size or when a group of people you're always going to get people in that group coming from a wide variety of backgrounds, beliefs, opinions, value systems, and all of that. And it's crucially important that we're able to accept people with differing opinions. And, you know, I've got 
my own opinions and I deal daily with people who have differing opinions than me, some of them to an extreme, right? Those pet peeves that we talked about, there are some people that just get under my skin and and how could they possibly think this way or believe that way, right? It's tempting to put people in a box and allow the differences between us to be a barrier for me to create some sort of judgment on that person, right? To say, because they are X, I can't trust them. Or because they think Z, I wouldn't want to work with them. But I think it's really important to consider if you were required to rely on that person for your well-being, if you had to work cooperatively with that person in order for you or for your family to survive, would you be willing to do it, right? If I have to work with someone of a complete different political thought process than myself, eight hours a day in a local community garden to ensure that we all have food, could I work side by side with that person and be cooperative? Well, if the alternative is that I die if I don't, the answer is probably yes, I could make it work, right? One thing that really impressed me about our conversation with Margaret Killjoy is when she talked about the difference between, you know, resiliency versus sort of classic right-wing prepping. But what she said was that we should befriend those people, right? We have much more in common than we think, even though our thought processes are different. It's that sort of open-mindedness and being able to say a differing of opinions doesn't mean that we're against each other. If anything, it's more of a reason to come closer together, to befriend each other, and to be able to engage in open conversation rather than shut down based on those opinions. Yeah, that's so true. And I think the way that people respond to others that they don't agree with really does set the stage for how well you are going to be able to work together. You know, people don't have to necessarily agree on something, but if that one difference in opinion ends up being such a large barrier that it prevents any sort of productive communication, then that's a significant concern. Right. Humans have this tendency to really want to be right. And in order for there to be a proper cooperation, that sort of ego, that desire to be right over somebody else has to disappear. And you have to be willing to accept or embrace someone for a difference of opinion. Yeah. So just while we're on this topic, while preparing this, I was kind of thinking about what are some opinions that I have that maybe don't align with a lot of people in the collapse community. And I realized that through the whole course of this podcast, even though I've never said anything false about myself, I think either consciously or subconsciously, I've kind of avoided sharing certain things about myself because I realize there are people with such strong opinions. Like, for example, we've mentioned, Corey, you've got kids, I've got kids. I think I kind of avoid bringing that up too often because I know there are these really strong antinatalist opinions. Somebody would look at me as someone who has children and immediately discredit anything else I'm going to say, or they would tell themselves this whole story in their head, like, because he has children, that must mean that he's selfish and doesn't care about the planet or doesn't think about others or is willing to consume at a high rate at the expense of other people. When I might say, no, none of that was ever my intention. But yet the fact that I have a pretty large family could be a big barrier when trying to communicate with others in the collapse community. And I don't want that to be the case. You know, another example that comes to mind is I have some deeply personal religious beliefs and just that fact about me could really bother a lot of people in the collapse community. We could argue all day, right? They could say, how could, how could you possibly believe in a God? Or they might immediately assume that I don't believe in science 
when I'm over here thinking my religious beliefs are totally in line with scientific research, I see the two as compatible. Or they might assume that I'm like really judgmental because a lot of people who have any sort of religious convictions can tend to be that way. Or, you know, when I say that I'm Christian, they might immediately associate that with some of these really far-right Christian groups that I don't feel like I align with. But, you know, all of that comes back to, on my end, if someone has totally different religious beliefs than me, I think that's great. I have so much respect for that. I have family members and friends that see things very differently from me. Or for people that have no religious beliefs at all and potentially don't even see any credibility in any sort of religious claims or things of a spiritual nature, I don't fault that person one bit. I can see where they're coming from. And I think it's great that they have come to those conclusions and feel that way. And they probably have a whole lot of valid reasons for that. And so obviously there's ways that I can improve in the way that I cut others slack and allow them to have very different opinions or beliefs from me without me judging them. I would hope that that same level of acceptance is something that we could get closer to within this community of people that believe in collapse. You know, Kellen, what you just said may surprise some of our listeners and others. They may be like, oh yeah, I, I figured as much. You know, I, I don't know. And I agree with you that it it's kind of nerve wracking to talk about ourselves. And we don't talk about ourselves much on the podcast, partly for this reason and partly because the podcast isn't about us, right? But I felt that same hesitation as you to give up any sort of like personal information in, in that regard because I feel like, man, I'm going to be judged by this and maybe people would stop listening to the podcast, right? And that may very well be the case. There will likely be people who will listen to this and this is the sad part, but they'll say, oh, Kellen and Corey are religious in any way at all and therefore... I no longer feel like I can trust them or relate to them or something like that, right? We had this happen when we talked about veganism in an episode towards the beginning. We simply said that we weren't vegans. It would be hypocritical for us to promote veganism when we ourselves weren't living that. However, we did feel that it was good to decrease the amount of meat and that we felt like we were decreasing the amount of meat that we were consuming. And we got messages, you know, people saying, I can't listen to you anymore. There was negative reviews saying they lost me at the veganism part and, and I'll never listen to them again because they don't fully promote and advocate for veganism. But I also think there's something so important about being able to just unapologetically be yourself, right? And be with the people who are going to accept you for who you are, for what your beliefs are, for what your opinions are, they don't have to necessarily accept your opinions, right? I am more than willing to accept that, you know, for example, there are tons of issues with organized religion and problems that stem from that. And I hope that you would be willing to accept that there's also a lot of good that can come from it as well. You know, one of these things that, that concerns me sort of along the lines that you've mentioned, you know, as recently as, as four or five years ago, I was technically impoverished. You know, I had a kid, I was making $13 an hour, no benefits. I was in a really tough spot financially. And things have changed for me in my family in the last few years to a point now where I am middle class. But I've always been concerned, you know, what would people think if they knew that I was building a decent sized house? 
right? Or that I wasn't living some minimalist lifestyle. Now, we've never claimed that, and we've always made it very clear that it would be hypocritical for us to pretend that we were the perfect example of what an environmentalist should be, for example. So anyways, that was a bit of a tangent, but to sort of wrap that up, there's a lot of different lifestyles out there, and there's a lot of different viewpoints and opinions and values and things that people come from. And, you know, how great it would be if we were all willing to sort of accept each other for that, if we were all willing to cut each other some slack, be willing to appreciate the differences that we all have and not, you know, make snap judgments of each other based on really the the little that we know about each other. Yeah, just quickly on that note, there was a comment somebody made, this was a couple of years ago on the subreddit. I didn't see it at the time, but I saw it recently. And it was something about having children. And this person was just getting totally thrashed in the comments. But one comment in response to the conversation that was taking place was this one that I found really interesting. This person said, one of the features of collapse is the blame game, and many here are indulging in it. Millennials blame boomers, vegans blame non-vegans, socialists blame capitalists, etc., etc. We need to blame someone. Someone must be guilty of this predicament, that this is the nature of complex societies, that complex societies are an anomaly, is something we cannot and will not accept, even if that is the truth. And so we mentioned things like having children, eating meat, having personal beliefs of a spiritual or religious nature. And those are personal choices that people make. Everyone has the right, given the opportunity, to decide for themselves how they want to live their life. We've always talked about being descriptive, but not prescriptive on this podcast. But the, the point here is that we could probably list a million ways in which opinions vary and opinions can vary within the context of collapse, which going back to this framework, checks another box that there will be crucial conversations. So again, number one, stakes run high, which we talked about. Number two, opinions vary, which we just went over in detail. And number three, emotions run strong. And I think perhaps all that needs to be said for that one is that with all these different opinions, we're talking about core values that people have and decisions that potentially have big implications. This is sometimes at the very root of who people are. And so we can anticipate and we see lots of evidence that, yes, emotions run strong when it comes to collapse conversations. Okay, so all of that was just to identify that what we're about to have is a crucial conversation. But I guess let's maybe dive into what is the framework for what that conversation should look like, how to make sure that these crucial conversations are being carried out effectively. Yeah, good idea. And to get into that, here's a statement from the book. It says, people who are skilled at dialogue do their best to make it safe for everyone to add their meaning to the shared pool, even ideas that at first glance appear controversial, wrong, or at odds with their own beliefs. Now, obviously, they don't agree with every idea. They simply do their best to ensure that all ideas find their way into the open. So in order for a productive conversation to take place, people have to feel safe enough that they can get everything out on the table, share what they're actually thinking and what they believe. And when people don't feel safe, that's when you see what the book refers to as either silence or violence. So silence is when you just kind of shut down and, and it becomes any act to purposefully withhold information from the conversation. So that might be somebody just totally withdrawing and pulling out of the conversation altogether or avoiding certain subjects and kind of trying to beat around the bush and steer clear of 
things that are sensitive or what they call masking, which is kind of understating something or selectively showing our true opinions. And you see this all the time, right? When there's any sort of conflict, there are individuals who will just kind of shut down. The other one is violence, right? So there's silence and violence. Usually when we think of violence, we think of like physical acts of aggression, which obviously could happen and does happen at times with crucial conversations. But they define violence as any verbal strategy that attempts to convince, control, or compel others to your point of view. Sometimes this is like directly attacking somebody. It's belittling them or threatening them. Sometimes it's putting a label on people or ideas so that they can be dismissed or so that they fall under a certain stereotype. Or sometimes it's like dominating the conversation, trying to control and force your view on them. So both of these are counterproductive. Silence, violence, whether you're kind of going on the offensive or the defensive, they never help. And it's funny because you mentioned before how childish political conversations become. And I don't think I've ever seen a political candidate during a debate get attacked and then say like, oh, I was wrong, right? They always dig their heels in and attack back or, or use any of these other tactics. Or even, you know, even if it's not admitting that they're wrong, you never see them even just say, oh, that's an interesting point of view. I can see why you might feel that way. Here's what I feel. It's always at least the last several presidential debates has been very defensive aggressive, sort of an in-your-face type of response. So with this, this whole idea where we have to create a safe enough environment for the conversation to take place, I think this is one of the most insightful things from the book. It lists two things that you have to establish. One is mutual purpose and the other is mutual respect. And this is one that I've tested out over and over again since reading the book years ago. And I found this to be absolutely true. So mutual purpose, you've got to get others to perceive that you're working toward a common outcome. You actually care about their goals and interests and values and vice versa. And depending on just how high stakes the conversation is or how different the opinions are, how high the emotions are, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of saying like, hey, we both have the same goal here. You know, we, we both want to try to reach a decision that's going to be best for everybody or we both are trying to understand each other better so that we can walk away more informed than we were before or whatever the purpose is. If you can call it out, and say, we have this purpose together. This is a mutual purpose. It does wonders. And then the other thing is mutual respect. If there's not mutual respect, if people don't perceive respect from the other individual, then the conversation becomes unsafe. The dialogue comes to a halt. It's usually no longer about that original purpose. It's more about defending your own dignity. And so again, sometimes this can be achieved with just one statement or two. Now, sometimes... It takes a lot of work to convince somebody that there's mutual respect and to, to get you both on the same page there. It's not something that can always happen, especially on like an online forum. But beyond that mutual purpose, beyond just saying, hey, we both got the same goal here in this conversation, to also say, by the way, I know that you are a reasonable person. I don't have a lot of the same opinions, but I know that you have reasons for the opinions that you have. I respect that. You know, something to show like you're worth my time, worth the conversation. I'm not going to attack you personally. We can at least have that kind of baseline level of respect for each other. That also has to be there if you're going to have a safe 
and productive conversation. I try and imagine a presidential debate in which the candidates come out and one candidate says to the other basically what you've just said. You and I don't agree on a lot of things, but we both have this same purpose, which is to serve the country, you know, and, and provide for the future of our citizens. And then, you know, if the two were to agree on mutual respect and say, look, I, I respect the efforts that you're making. And the other person says, well, I respect the efforts that you're making. Now let's talk about the differences in our ideas. You know, wow, what a, what a great way to have a conversation and it would allow the, the viewers, it instills trust from them in those candidates as well. Obviously, that's totally different than what we see, but picturing that and then realizing that we have the power to do that in our own conversations as well, I think that's pretty impactful. It's funny that you bring up that example because I actually saw a video the other day and this was from a debate during the presidential election. It was between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And they had been having this intense, fierce debate attacking each other the whole time. And they were taking questions from like audience members. And one guy had the microphone and he stood up and he said, could you each just give each other a compliment? And the whole crowd, everyone was like, oh, and it was so funny to watch the way they tried to approach it. They each, I felt, kind of gave each other like a backhanded compliment. It's kind of like in a job interview when they're like, what's your greatest weakness? And you you come up with something dumb like, I'm a perfectionist to a fault, right? Something just completely wrong. I could see it in this case them being like, I love your confidence being able to wear that dress, right? Or Or something like that. Yeah, if I remember right, I think Hillary... Clinton answered first and she said something like, well, your kids seem to like you. So that says something, but I plan to help the country through blah, blah, blah. And I, 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 me, me, me. And then Donald Trump said something about how Hillary Clinton doesn't give up, but with this tone of like, she sure is persistent, but it's annoying. Anyways, it was just kind of a funny moment to watch that. Establish mutual purpose, mutual respect. That alone will probably solve most of the issues that you would have during a crucial conversation. But to get a little more specific, we don't need to go into everything from the book. But one thing it points out is that we all tell ourselves stories, whether we know it or not. Somebody can't make you mad. They can make a statement and then you tell yourself a story about that person's intentions or what that statement really means or you interpret it somehow and as you translate it through your own perception your own lens then you can have an emotional reaction to that but you have to recognize you're having an emotional reaction to the story that you're telling yourself about what the person said not to what they said so this takes conscious effort on our part when we're having a conversation with somebody else proactively control the story that we tell ourselves. Like when somebody says something that you are very opposed to, you can turn them from a villain in your mind into human, right? Instead of thinking like that person is evil, you can try to find why a good person would act the way that that person is acting. You know, the book also talks about turning victims into actors, turn the helpless into the able. The point is that we have control over what we choose to believe about an individual and their intentions. And we have to make a conscious effort to tell ourselves a story that's going to help the conversation be productive instead of the other way. So that kind of sets the stage for a very specific 
way that you can approach a crucial conversation. And I love it because it's just kind of a formula and I've used it lots of times and it really does work. And, and the formula is basically to just say what you are seeing or hearing, then to tell the person the, the story that you're telling yourself about that, and then to ask them for their thoughts so that they have a chance to clarify. And if you've set the stage, you know, you, you've got this safe environment, then it's always going to surface things that will help you come to a better understanding, help the conversation move forward in a positive way. Okay. So that last part was, was a lot. Could we maybe do like, could you give me an example of what a conversation like that might look like? Yeah. So for example, let's say with my wife and I, my wife might see that I never take the garbage out unless I'm asked and that might really bother her. And so she can either choose silence and just avoid it and let that fester. Or she can choose violence. She can attack me verbally and say like, oh, you never do anything and get on my case. Or she can present it as something much more reasonable using that formula. So for example, I noticed yesterday that the garbage was overflowing and you didn't take it out until I asked you to. And maybe it's irrational, but when I see that, I find myself wondering if you only do nice things because you feel obligated. Am I wrong? Am I off base there? Right. And if, if it gets approached to me that way, if my wife says that, then I'm like, I'm so sorry if this is causing you to feel like I care less about you. That's not my intention. I just don't take out the trash sometimes because I get distracted with these other things. And then we can start talking about what the real issue is and how to solve it. And maybe I can say, well, when you ask me to take out the trash, the story I tell myself is that you're not seeing all the other things I'm doing in our house and that maybe you feel like I'm lazy and I don't do anything. And is that how you're actually feeling? Right. And then she can say like, well, no, I blah, blah, blah. And I don't know that that's a perfect example, but can you see a little bit how that formula plays out? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think one of the biggest pieces to this is just sort of that genuineness in, in genuinely having that mutual purpose with someone else, not allowing yourself to get defensive, sort of having that care for the other person, and that mutual respect. And as long as those things stay intact, that conversation should resolve with you both feeling more connected, your relationship should be stronger. Not only that, but the problem has likely been resolved. So I think that was a really great example. Do you maybe have one that would relate more to like the collapse or collapse community? Yeah, I'm sure we could find one. I'm sure we could find plenty. Maybe let's talk about veganism because we brought that up before. And again, this would all hinge on being able to create that safe environment. Not something you can really do on a Reddit forum, for example. Yeah, you, you can still be tactful and respectful. Absolutely. But you wouldn't expect people to be like, the story I'm hearing <laughs> right. on, on a Reddit forum for sure. Yeah, but if you're having a conversation with somebody in person, let's say, and you've been able to say like, hey, we obviously have different views about veganism. I want to understand where you're coming from. And I think you want to understand where I'm coming from, right? See what I did there? Mutual purpose. Yep. And then maybe I say like, and I see the way that you interact with me, the way you interact with others. You're somebody that I really respect. I feel like you're a good person. And so it would help me if we can have this conversation, right? So, so there it is. I established mutual purpose, mutual respect. And then let's, how do we want to play this out? Should I be the vegan or the non-vegan? I'll be the non-vegan. You can be the vegan. Okay. That sounds great. You know, Corey 
part of why this is on my mind, why I think it's important for us to have this conversation is because when we were at that get together and I chose not to eat any of the meat there, you were digging in. And when I see that, I start to think of some of the awful things that I've seen with the animal cruelty that takes place and all the damage that we're doing to the environment. And I feel like you're probably aware of those things. And so I can't help but wonder if maybe you've kind of given up on trying to help the environment or if you just don't have any concerns at all about consuming lots of meat. But I realize I'm making a lot of assumptions there. So can you help me understand where you're coming from? Is the way that I'm perceiving that accurate? Yeah. And so I might respond something like, yeah, I am aware of a lot of the impacts that modern agriculture has on the environment. But I think I feel that in my opinion, I'm just one person and that there's no way that my actions would change anything when there are billions of other people who consume maybe just as much or more than I do. And I love that example because all of a sudden I can reframe in my mind that story I've been telling myself. Like maybe you're not this awful person who hates animals and doesn't care about anybody else. I start to hear, oh, it comes from you not feeling like you can make any difference. And then we can talk about that, right? And we might have different opinions there. And I can start to say, hey, what I'm hearing from you is that it's all pointless. And I can see where you're coming from. Honestly, it's hard to make any impact. But I personally feel like if nobody at least tries, then nothing will ever be done. And I feel this personal obligation to refrain from eating meat. Like, have you ever felt that way? You know, and we, we can start to have this conversation that even if by the end, I still don't eat meat and you do, we understand each other better. We're not making all these false assumptions. We're not immediately putting somebody in a box and discrediting everything that they have to say. We're, we're getting closer. And if we have that kind of a conversation, we're going to have a much higher chance of actually getting on the same page. And you might start to think like, you got a good point. Maybe I do need to be more mindful about what I consume. Or I might say, you've got a good point. Maybe I need to live in the moment and not stress about some of these bigger things quite so much. Either way, I just love that there are tools, there is a framework, there are ways we can have conversations where people can tell the truth about what they're seeing, about what they're feeling without it ruining a relationship. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest part because it's still not about being right. It's still not about convincing someone else of your convictions in your way. It's a way to have a conversation between two people that aren't on the same page and by the end, whether they're on the same page or not, they can remain friends and they have come closer in understanding. The respect may even be strengthened between them, right? Even though they might be still so different in their opinions. The contrast to that is a, a vegan and a non-vegan having this brutal conversation where they're accusing each other of things, making assumptions, and by the end, they feel like they can't trust each other. They can't talk about things. They're each in their own box. He's the vegan. I'm the non-vegan, you know, and, and it sounds weird to say it this way, but it feels like the world's just a little bit of a worse place because of that conversation. If within our families, if within our communities, we're able to start to have these conversations that build trust, that build understanding, that build respect, those are extremely crucial building blocks towards resiliency towards having a resilient community. There's less bridges burned, less enemies made, less feelings hurt. And overall, when the moment calls for collaboration, that trust is already there. And I think that's that's just massively important. 
You know, if you're still listening to the podcast this far in, I think we're over 80 episodes now, it's more likely than not you've heard several things that we've talked about that you disagree with as far as opinions that Kellen or I hold. And we just want to say thank you for sort of taking this journey with us, for allowing us to continue to have this conversation without shutting the door or walking away. You know, we've had several people reach out and say, hey, despite the fact that I don't agree with you on many things, I enjoy the conversation or I enjoy what I've learned or I enjoy the way you've organized everything. And I love to hear that because I would not expect everyone to agree with everything that we say. It would be really weird if they did. We'd have ourselves a cult. <laughs> you know, there should be disagreements. That That's just how life is. So anyway, thank you so much for being here for listening. As always, please reach out if you have any questions or thoughts or comments and have a great week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.